0: It's a privilege this morning to be able to speak to those that are believers. Most of my speaking engagements here has been basically for the gospel message. But this morning, my remarks will be directed to those of you that are believers here today. Um, Sometimes we're criticized as believers that we kind of check out our brains and don't reason things through. But Albert this morning reminded me of something that was on his WhatsApp. And it had been on my mind as well. I'd forgotten, but let me read it from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, God says, and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God intends us to reason things And the message this morning that I have is if our sins are forgiven, why do we still sin? Now, I know for myself that took many years to kind of come to some kind of an understanding as to the whole process of that. What does it involve? But before I begin, I'd like to read a few scriptures. Because I think this is something that I seldom hear spoken of or shared much with among believers. So let me read these scriptures. First one from Romans 4. You don't have to look it up. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 5.19 says, Through Adam's disobedience many were made sinners. By the obedience of Jesus Christ, many are made righteous. So I'd like to use those scriptures to preface our discussion this morning on why do we sin. I think we need to be reminded, first of all, those of us that are saved, that we are righteous. God has declared us righteous. Something my father said to me probably a couple of years before he went to be with the Lord, was, he says, the older I get, the more conscious I am of sin. And apparently my grandfather said the same thing. Uh, wow, that bothered me a bit. I thought our sins were forgiven. How come I'm so conscious of sin? How could it be? Now, I'm not that old yet. Maybe I'm going to find out someday. But my occupation is not with my sins. My occupation is with Christ. And what he has done for me and that he has made me righteous. When I was little, my mom was the one that did the spankings. Good thing it wasn't today. But my mom was little and it didn't hurt. Until the very last one, she took the yardstick to me, and I think I was probably ten or eleven at the time. I had to bear, you know what? And man, it was hard sitting after that. But what affected me the most was when my mom would say to me, she'd catch me doing something wrong, and she'd say, "David, I expected more of you." I was a believer. I expected more of you. She was appealing to the fact you have been made righteous. You're not living up to what you have been declared. That affected me more than anything else. Now, I'm going to walk through some scriptures and they're in your bulletin. I did it on a, that on purpose in case you ever have to refer back to it. Now, as a... Caveat, if you will, if any of you were here when Charles Price spoke, Charles happened to use these scriptures on the Wednesday night he was here the last night, and I had actually been writing on these scriptures that very day, which had happened throughout all of Charles's messages. I had already been writing his subjects that he was speaking on. So the first one is in 1 John chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Before I make a comment, let's turn to chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. of The same epistle. Chapter 3 and verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Is John contradicting himself? In chapter 1 he says if you say that you have no sin you're a liar. You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Notice he says if we say that we have no sin. Not that we do no sin. If you say that you have no sin you're a liar and the word and... No, I'll jump on a verse. We, de- we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not committed sins, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm going to say something that may shock many of you. And that is that there is a difference between sin and sins in the plural. One easy way to find out, those of you that have a Bible program or if you've got you're old like me and you've got concordances, go to your Bible app and punch in sin. Then punch in the word sins with an S. Read all the scripture references to each of those and you will see that there is a difference between the two. When you look up the word sin, you will find in the context in which that word appears, you never find the word forgiveness connected to it. But if you go and you look up the word sins, you will find every time pretty much the word forgiveness is associated with it. Look at it this way. If you were to see an illustration of a tree, a fruit tree, and you can see the roots, the root is sin. The fruit is sins. So if you look at an apple tree, the fruit doesn't determine what kind of tree it is. The roots do. So likewise with sin. Sin is the base on which we interact, And we commit sins. If sin had been removed out of the equation, we would not commit sins. I hope you're with me. So that's the main difference between it. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 8. By the way, those of you that have been out in the evenings haven't heard a teaching message. So this is my first teaching message, I guess. Romans chapter 8, beginning from verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh i know my time is short but let me let me give you just a short outline if you will I think this is probably my favorite verse too. But if you go to the King James Version, which I have here, verse 1 reads like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm not sure how many of you are aware of that. That was introduced when the King James was written. And from what I can read and understand, those that were involved in the translation of it felt that just to have no condemnation was not possible. There must be something that we have to do on our part. And what they've done is they've taken verse 4... That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And inserted it in verse 1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus period. And when it says therefore you back up to chapter 7. You back up to chapter 6. Briefly chapter 6 is dealing with the fact that when we died with Christ we died to sin. That's a message all on its own. Maybe we'll have that someday. Chapter 7, so chapter 6, we're set free from the dominion or the authority of sin when we died with Christ. Chapter 7 now, Paul is using the illustration of the marriage law to explain how we are set free from the law. And we're set free from the law basically again through the fact that we have died with Christ. Our husband is no longer Mr. Law. Through our death, we now have Jesus Christ as our husband. So through death, we've been set free from the law. Therefore, because of those two things, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now... Let me give you very brief. Uh, We'll have a brief discussion on the next verses. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. This law of sin and death is not the Ten Commandments. It's not the commandments of Moses. When Adam and Eve sinned, And through one man, Adam, sin came into the world means that it existed pre-creation. When he opened the door and sin came in, a law was established that said everyone born of Adam would sin and the result of sin would be death. Through our coming to Jesus and receiving his salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit, we have been set free from that law. Everyone in the world is subject to that law. Everyone sins and everyone will die because of it. But through new birth, we have been set free from the bondage of that so that death no longer has a sting. We are assured that we will be raised and be with Christ someday. So that's verse 2. Then he goes on, he says, But what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. The wording of it is a little bit difficult sometimes for us to take in. What the law could not do, in that it was weak. The actual fact is that the flesh in us is so strong that even when God introduces a law, we will not obey that law, because flesh in us is so strong, I'm not going to. As soon as we're presented with a law, the first thing we want to do is disobey the law. That's just how we work. So that's what he's talking about there. But what happened at the cross is this: Sin was put on trial and it was found guilty and god condemned it think of this as a court of law when a, when someone is on the dock they've committed murder they've been condemned and the punishment is death what happens next they go back to their jail cell the sentence has been passed They have been condemned, and they're awaiting the day of the execution. This is exactly the same thing that has happened with sin. When Christ died, sin was put on trial, sin was condemned, and based on what Christ has done in defeating that whole thing, that whole sin question, it is one day, it is going to come to a point where The final judgment will happen. That final judgment will not take place until the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. When death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. If death is cast into the lake of fire, the wages of sin is death, therefore sin will go where death goes. We're now left with the dilemma of, okay, my sins are forgiven, how come I still sin? What actually transpired when we were born again, and that's the wording that Jesus used to Nicodemus. And John, in chapter 3, three of his first epistle, he says, that which is born of God cannot sin. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So if you're born of the the spirit, you're born of God, you're born again, it means the same thing. And the word born again means born from above. So that Jesus says, I was born from above, you were born from beneath. When we come to salvation and we're born again, we're not born of this world, of Adam's seed, we're born from above. So what John writes in his first chapter is if we say we have no sin and we do no sin we're simply lying because when we came to salvation we were changed inside totally new inside but we were left in these bodies these mortal bodies that are still capable of sin because we were conceived in sin. I hope you follow. So these bodies then is what we're left with this problem. And we're tempted to sin because of our five senses. What we hear, see, smell, taste, and touch. We're tempted to sin because we're in these bodies with our five senses... And we're tempted to sin by what we see through our five senses. This is the difficulty that we've been left with. Yes, our sins have been forgiven. But sin has been condemned. And we're still suffering from that effect. If sin had been forgiven, when it says Satan sinned from the beginning, he would have been forgiven too. Sin is not. It's condemned. God has condemned it in our flesh. This is what is bringing about the tension in our lives. We'll read now from Romans 7. And Charles Price read this too. This is that section where sometimes we get all confused as to who the eyes are that Paul is writing about. And the question has also come up on these verses as to whether it's Paul... Is he saying this as a believer or as an unbeliever? And I think you'll find when we go through this, you'll find out that this is the struggle of every believer. Romans chapter 7 beginning from verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, sold under sin. For that which I do, I do not own. For not what I will, this I do, but what I hate, this I practice. But if what I do not will, this I practice, I consent to the law that it is, it is right. Now that it is no longer I that do it, but sin, in the singular, the root, that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, good does not dwell. For to will is there with me, but to do right I find not. For I do not practice the good that I will, but the evil I do not will, that I do. But if what I do not will, this I practice, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that the law upon me, who will practice what is right, that with me evil is there for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring in opposition to the law of my mind. And bring me into captivity to the law of sin which exists in my members. Jesus when he was speaking to Nicodemus. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And we have that as long as we live. But that which is born of the spirit Is spirit. So let me introduce those two thoughts. Into these verses. And I'll read it back to you. And you'll get an an idea of what Paul is talking about. So I'll read these verses again. We know that the law is spiritual. But I. Am of the flesh sold under sin. For I. Born of the flesh do not understand my own actions. For I, born of the flesh, do not do what I, born of the Spirit, want to do. But I, born of the flesh, do the very things that I, born of the Spirit, hate. Now, if I, born of the flesh, do what I, born of the Spirit, do not want, I agree that the law, that it is good. But now it's no longer I, born of the Spirit, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Let me stop there. He's saying, and we're saying, are you copping out here, Paul? You're blaming this on being born of the flesh. Well, that's exactly what he's doing. It's no longer I born of the Spirit who do this, but sin dwells in me. That is, the root is still there. He defines now, he's come to the point of realizing it's sin that is dwelling in his body, that our bodies weren't changed when we were born again. For I, born of the Spirit, know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I, born of the flesh, have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I, born of the flesh, do not do the good I, born of the Spirit, want. But but the evil I, born of the Spirit, do not want is what I, born of the flesh, keep on doing. I lost my place. Um, I no longer do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's verse 20. So I, born of the Spirit, find it to be a law that when I, born of the Spirit, want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. So you get the idea. Paul is distinguishing now between being born of God and born of the flesh. 1 John 3, John states, That which is born of God cannot sin. Why? Because it was born from above, not from here. We were born from above. The work of God in us cannot sin. If it cannot sin, why are we sinning? It's because we are still in the flesh and we are tempted to sin through the five senses. And I think if we get a hold of that, and I hope most here do, this is just review for most of you, I hope, that that will help clear things in our minds as to why we have this struggle going on. And we will have it as long as we're in these bodies. Well, does Paul give us any kind of a solution to the problem? The last two verses of that section, Paul cries out, he says, O wretched man that I am, who, did you hear that? Who shall deliver me? O wretched man that I am, he doesn't say, what do I have to do? to be delivered from this wretched condition I'm in. He's looking outside of himself and he's saying, who shall deliver me out of this body of death? I mean, I'm in defeat all the time. What's he doing? Well, the next verse says, I thank God it's through Jesus Christ. Focus now on Jesus Christ. I keep doing what is wrong. Who's going to deliver me? And he says, the only one that can deliver you is Jesus Christ. If we try everything that we can to overcome sin, we'll be defeated every single time, guaranteed. It never works. So he says, I myself with my mind serve God's law. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That word sound mind can be translated a healed mind. Through new birth, we have a healed mind. Our hearts have been changed. We're totally changed inside. We have a love for people we never had before. We have a connection and a communication with God we never had before. Our minds are the problem. They're a big problem. And he's saying, who can deliver me? But I, born of the Spirit, serve the law of God with my mind. We need to set our minds on the things above Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on the things of the earth. And that's what Paul says. When we set our minds on the things above, our attitudes, our mind changes. Let me ask you this question. Are you struggling with sin? Have you been reading God's word today? Have you been communicating with God today? Has the Holy Spirit been revealing to you things of Jesus Christ today that maybe you didn't see before? Let me ask you, if that is your bent of mind and that's where you are, can you sin at the same time? Pretty difficult. If you realize that Jesus was standing right with you and looking over your shoulder, do you think you could sin? Not likely. Not likely. But the problem is, is where we're setting our minds. And Paul says, if you set your minds on Christ, he will give you the deliverance, not you. He says, thanks be to God. But, he says, with my flesh, born of the flesh, I serve the law of sin. That law of sin continues, and now I'm left with the choice. And the spirit, the the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh. The flesh, and I think you will all agree, is very strong. If I want to do what I want to do, regardless of somebody speaking to me and showing me scripture and pointing me to Christ, I want to do it. The flesh wants to do it. We have the choice. Are you nursing some kind of a sin? And you think that nobody else knows? I have stories to tell about that. I was in a small fishing village for a couple of years. And a plumber, I had to meet with a plumber because he had to do something in the church with the heating system. And he said to me about so-and-so, he says, you know, he has a drinking problem. And he thinks that the town doesn't know. And this is a town of 3,500 people. Everybody knows everything, especially if you're in business. He thinks nobody knows, but the whole town knows You may be hiding some kind of a sin or nursing some kind of a sin that you enjoy and you think nobody knows. Well, within the body of Christ, one of the gifts is a gift of discernment. There could be somebody within this body of Christ here this morning that God has given discernment and they know because they know because the Holy Spirit has shown them the struggle that you're going through. Besides that, you think God doesn't know? <laughs> My mom used to say, be careful, Dave, you know, your sins will find you out. Yeah, Eventually, I've seen it time and time again. Eventually, it's going to come back. Let me tell you another true story. My dad's sister lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. She lived in Canada for a while, too, when I was young. But all her life, she had a problem with alcohol. I mean, a big-time problem. Sometimes I would get a telephone call from her from Knoxville, Tennessee, and she's got a gun, and the police are coming, and, I mean, the stories were horrendous. She was so under the influence of alcohol... My dad paid to have her come up here for her 80th birthday from Knoxville. And one day she was here, just the two of us were sitting in the living room, and she turned to me and she said, Dave, you know, I have struggled with alcohol all my life. This was a woman that was saved when she was young, she had a heart for the Lord. She witnessed to everybody she came across. But she had this problem that she struggled with all of her life. And she said, I tried everything to get over this sin that I had. It was dominating my life, and it did dominate her life. And now, at the age of 80, she says to me, You know, I went to the elders of the church told them my problem, but they weren't able to help me. And I thought, well, I know why, because I knew where she was, and they had a problem too. And she said, I would got to the end of myself. I just didn't know how I was ever going to do this Till one day I just went, turned to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I have tried to get overcome this all my lifetime, and I can't do it. If you don't do it, I'm done. I'm never going to get freedom. Wow. She says, from that point on, I never even gave it a thought. He took that thought away. I never thought of drinking again. We need to give up. The flesh is too strong. Turn it over to the Lord. He's the only one that's able to give us the strength to overcome We have to come focused back to Jesus Christ. If he's not central in our lives, we're going to have a lot of problems. And the pastors in many churches today are having to deal with all of these problems because people are not going to Jesus Christ for the answer. It's as simple as that. It's really as simple as that. That's what bothered me when my dad says, I'm more conscious of sin today. And I'm still wondering why that's not predominant in my life. And i come to the conclusion, it must be because Jesus is central to my life. I wake up in the night. Verses go through my mind. During the daytime, something comes up. I always run things through scripture first. Somebody says something, I run it through my computer to see does this line up with scripture. I've done that all my life. We're entering times now where we need to know that we know that we know these basic truths of Christianity because Satan is out and pointing a finger every time he can to say, see, you failed. You don't measure up. I've heard it from some here. Young people, newly saved young people. Yes, because Satan does not, he wants to destroy that work of God that started in you. He's doing everything he can to discourage. I've witnessed it time and time again. So take it from an old guy. And speaking of that, I'm not, I'm not correcting what Joe said, but take it from an old guy. So many times my wife and I found that there were things within our kids' lives that we knew needed to be changed. And so many times you feel helpless to be able to do anything to make a difference. And over a period of time, this is what we learned. When we're looking for God to make a change in someone else's life, He comes right full circle back. When I change, then God goes to work. Okay? If I'm going to work in my own effort, God is going to rest. When I rest, God goes to work on our behalf. What a God we have to serve. I hope this makes a difference. Because... This subject of sin is not a bad thing because when we get through to it and we realize that, yes, we're still in the flesh, that's why we have the propensity to sin, but we can overcome and be victorious every time we focus on Christ. I hope you're blessed today.